You guys remember <clears throat> this children's song? Uh, there are different variations of it, but I think we all uh, got it somewhere along the way. If you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you have, okay, we'll stop there because we could go on because you do know it. Uh, and I actually am starting there because I actually want that little ditty in your mind. I hope it stays with you all week long, but it stays there in a different way. If James got a hold of that, he would, he would rewrite it, and it would sound like this. Uh, don't do this along with me. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. That is the message of James. We keep coming to it over and over, don't we? Rob and I get tickled because we'll, we'll talk to each other and have you, have, you, have you worked on the message for next week? You know, what's the big idea? It's, uh, it's about faith. You can't separate faith from works. What are you teaching next week? Uh, it's about faith. It's about faith. and <laughs> You just go on and on every message. And um, we have come today to the bedrock, the biblical and theological foundation for that. It's verses 14 to 26, actually. Uh, and it is so important, we've broken it up into two messages. I'm going to do the first part today, 14 to 20. Rob will get 21 to 26 next week. Uh, it matters that, it really, really matters that much. Uh, everything that James says, and by the way, I did this in the introduction, there's 108 verses in James. 60 of those contain an exhortation or a command. Every command is rooted in this section of the book. Rob started his message last week and he said this. He said, it's not that you shouldn't separate faith from works. It's that you cannot separate faith from works. Well, why is that? That's what we're going to answer. You ever think about this? Why does he keep saying it? I mean, it's, it gets to be, honestly, it's almost redundant. Why does he keep saying it. And, and if we step back, we go, well, he was writing a letter to a group of Christians, and they're scattered all over. They're meeting in little churches. And it seems clear that there were Christians in those little home churches who were saying they were believers, who were professing, who were saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but their lives did not demonstrate it. That's what, so he's writing to them to say, if you, if you believe it, but you're not living it, then we, we got a problem here. Now, I want you to know that challenge was true in the early church. It's one of the first letters to the church. It, it's true in the church today, and it will be true in the church until Jesus comes back, unless we miss this. That means that that is true, you all, at Fellowship Bible Church. Whether you're at Brentwood or you're in Franklin, that our church has people in it, that, you know, some of you looking at me now, that, that you may be professing that you've put your faith in Christ, but your life isn't expressing that belief, and that's really dangerous. That's what James is getting at here. 
The, the stakes could not be higher. I, please, when I say that, please know I don't have anyone in mind. Uh, it's just a reality. And sometimes people say they believe, but they haven't genuinely, personally, they're not putting their confidence and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus personally, though they may say it. The difference is this. When you put your trust in Christ, truly believe that the life he lived was the life you couldn't live, and the death he died is the, is the death you, you deserve, and he did it for you. When you truly believe that, I want you to know you are eternally secure. You cannot lose the gift that has been given to you in salvation. We believe that, okay? So that's true faith. But if you, if you have what James is describing as a false faith, then you can say all the right things, and I mean this when I say it, and you can do the right things. You really can. You can do all the right Christian things. But if it's not true faith, hmm, ultimately your life's not reflecting what you're professing, then I can say this. Your eternal security is sure, but it's not to be with God. It's to be apart from God. I'm going to be very blunt to say what's at stake is heaven or hell, a separation from God. This is fundamental to the life of faith. He's making the distinction between true faith and false faith. That's what's going on throughout the whole book. I'm going to take verses 14 to 20 in three parts as James expresses them. This is kind of an introduction to next week, I want you to know. And I'm going to move really fast because it's, it's, quite, it's quite on the surface. We can grasp this pretty easily. Three things he does. He starts with a biblical assumption. Then he goes to a practical illustration then he goes to a foolish objection, okay? There's three things, and I'm going to say it over and over again. Let's start with what he, where he begins, verse 14. It's, called, it's a biblical assumption. Well, what's the assumption? Notice verse 14. He says, what use is it, my brethren, speaking to Christians, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? You all, uh, the, the Greek grammar uh, tells us that this, in the English too, it's a rhetorical question. He's expecting a certain answer. He's not asking it and then waiting for them to go, well, I think, I don't know. The answer is what? Can this faith save him? What's the answer he expects? What's the answer he expects? Uh, is faith without works useful? No. See, so it's a negative response he's looking for. He, ass he assumes that because he's been teaching it and he's going to explain it here. Again, keep in mind, he is not contrasting faith against works. Like, you can have faith and then there's a separation over here to works. We'll see in a moment. He's contrasting true faith with false faith. And then he gives an example. Boy, this is, it's like James says, well, let me give you an example that's going on at the church right now. Look at verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you, you know, one of you in the church says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Rhetorical question. What's the answer? What's the answer? None. Let's keep going. Yes, it's like what you said. It's none. Yes, it's third time. It's third rhetorical question. In the same way, faith, 
if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Well, so this really practical application, we look at it, I want you to know the first thing, I want you to know what he's not describing so we don't go here because we're going to have a very practical application ourselves. He's not talking about someone, you know, if you're driving around Nashville, even Franklin, you pull up and there's, you know, a homeless person or someone with a Nashville rescue mission in deep need and they're selling newspapers and you meet that need. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about when you're in a city and it could be here in Franklin or in Nashville and someone is, is begging. Someone has, you know, they're homeless and they, you have to step over them and they're saying, would you give some money? He's not talking about that. That's for another day in a sense, although this informs that in some ways. He's talking about something really close to home, y'all. He's talking about the church and that there are some people in the church, which, by the way, the church, a high level of poverty in the early church. He's talking about people at church who have real needs and brothers and sisters at church see those needs and instead of meeting the need, simply give them words at church. So how do, we, how do we take this and move it over to today? Because in that day, by the way, the word there is, is naked. You see someone naked. They're not physically naked. What it's saying is they don't have a coat and it's cold. Um, you know, they don't have adequate clothing. They have it, what Rob talked about last week, dirty clothing. You know, they're not dressed well. They need better clothing, appropriate clothing, and, and you're not giving it, but you're saying, I, I hope you get warm. I hope you get the clothes. And they don't have food for the day. And, and you walk away. It's interesting to me that James does not say when you see a brother or sister in need and you have the means to help. He doesn't, he doesn't add that phrase in there, does he? It makes me, I, I think for me, I look at that and I, I, I would assume, James is assuming if you become aware of a specific need, generally God made you aware of it for a reason so that you would do more than say something. That's what, that's what it seems to be saying here. So, if, you know, like I, you're, you're aware of needs, I'm not. And it, it, maybe God has put you in that place to meet that need, not me. That's how God meets the needs of the body. See how practical this is? Well, how do we take that, okay? People don't have food for the day, don't have clothing, and bring it all the way over here to Franklin in 2019. What's the principle? Well, that's what we want to go after, the principle, and the principle is a brother or sister with an urgent need, you have the capacity that you can do something. Are you simply saying the words? Or are you going to do something to meet that need? There's no one, I don't think, although someone sent me there, there, there certainly are, but no one probably in this room right now that doesn't have what we would say adequate clothing. I mean, you probably have pretty much adequate clothing, probably have food for the day. So go, go below that. What are the needs? There are real needs in our church, you all. Genuine, urgent needs. They could be financial. They could be material. They're in, at Fellowship Bible Church, and God meets the needs of his people through his people. That's how he generally works. You know, sometimes we, we kind of think he might work through the lottery, you know, when it gets up high and we try and buy one of those, you know, like, I'll give 10% of it, you know, but no, that's not how he works. He works by meeting those needs quietly, generally through his people. Are we aware of those needs, and are we just saying words? Let me clarify something that I hope some of you are wondering, because I think it's, it, it's a good question. Maybe you're saying, Lloyd, are you saying that when I know of a need and, and I, I don't meet it, and I, and I could, that I have false faith? Are you saying, James is saying, you're not even a Christian? 
Let's think about it in another category. Um, if you're a parent or you, know, you have a friend, would you say that you meet every need of your child or your friend? You meet every need, do you? Rhetorical question, no. Does that mean you're a bad parent? No. Does it mean you're a bad friend? No. Did Jesus meet every need on the planet before he left the planet? So there were people around Jesus that were hungry and he didn't feed them? People that were sick, he didn't heal them? Man, he messed up. No, he didn't. And I say that simply to let you understand, you know, this is not talking about meeting every need every time in perfection because that's not going to happen. And secondly, uh, you're not put on the planet to meet every need you come in contact with. The, the Greek tenses here, okay, let me just cut to the quick, are reminding us if your life is characterized by saying something when you can do something, if that characterizes your life, okay, you need to pause and examine what? Your faith, okay? It's not perfection on that, but boy, I'll tell you, if, that, if, that just, if that's really what demonstrates your life, then you have every reason to question, do I have true faith if that's not flowing from me in some manner, in some way, as I grow in faith? Everybody make sense? That makes sense, everybody? Let's move on. Uh, we're going to wrap this on the back end of this, what he's talking about here a foolish objection. Look at verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Um, let, me, let me say to you, this is, even though some of you may not know this, I, I didn't really know this, although I know it's difficult. This is arguably the most difficult verse in James to translate and to interpret. Some would argue it's one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to truly understand. Let me tell you why. Because in the Greek text, there's no punctuation, you all. So, you know, you don't have periods and commas and quotation marks in Greek. It's all in the words and their word order, et cetera, et cetera. And so we can't be sure. I want you to look at verse 8. You can't be sure where the quotes begin and where the quotes end. If you pay attention to it, you'll notice that the pronouns don't actually line up the you and the I. And then the next phrase, it's not quite how you would expect the logic to go. All of that to say, theologian scholars have come up with at least five interpretations of verse 18. All five fall short of answering the objections. And I would want to say to you from a Bible study standpoint, y'all, this can happen often with our Bibles. So, so don't, you know, don't panic and go, oh my gosh, the whole thing's no good. You know, we can't even trust it if you can't understand what that verse says. Well, no, you go... What are some principles of Bible interpretation? Let's bring them to this difficult text. Well, one of the first we want to remind you of is that the clear interprets the cloudy. What's, I'm going to tell you something. Verse 14, that's not hard. Uh, verse 15, that's not hard to understand. Verse 17, uh, that's not hard. In other words, look at the verses around it. What are those verses saying and what's clear about them? He's clearly saying... If you say you have faith, but you have no, if your life's not characterized by an expression of God's character through that faith, then you don't have true faith. We, we know that's what he's saying. So when we step back and we look at this difficult grammatical verse, we choose the interpretation and the translation that seems to answer most of the grammatical problems. But I'm going to tell you, one doesn't exist. So you choose the best one. That's not cheating. That's a principle of biblical study. 
And one that I think works well is the New Living Translation. I'm gonna show it on the screen. I want you to look at it. Here's verse 18 in the New Living Translation. A lot of study behind this. Now, some may argue, here's the objector's voice. Some people have faith, others have good deeds. End of the objector's voice. James's voice. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Make sense? So, so the objector is saying, hey, some people have faith. <laughs> some people have faith. Uh, some people have works. So let's, let's leave it at that. And James says, no, no, no. Because if you say you have faith, the only way you can demonstrate it is by your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. He says, you can't separate the two which is an interesting way to think about it. And he keeps hammering this. And notice what he says in verse 17. In the same way, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. Death in the Bible, you all, is not the end. Always think of this word when you think of death in the Bible. Separation. That's death. One day I will be, my soul will be separated from this body you see. And on that day, in that moment, I will be dead. See, because of the separation. And my soul lives forever, as everyone's soul lives forever. And the eternal separation is, if my soul lives separated from God forever, that's called hell. And heaven is going to be my soul living with God forever. Does that make sense? So I always think separation. So even here, James is saying, look, if you try and separate faith from works, that's death. That's dead. It's inert. It's by itself. All right, with that, we come to the foolish objection. And this is, I think it's the nuclear option uh, when, when, uh, <laughs> with what James brings to them. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. When he said, you believe that God is one, that's the Shema. That's Deuteronomy 6. Every Jew recites that at least twice a day. It's, it's like me saying, do you know the happy birthday song? Yeah, I mean, we've been singing it my whole life. You know, they, have, they know the Shema. The Lord our God is one, okay? So he says, look, you say that, and they go, you betcha we say that. And he says, well, you do good. And they say, and then he says, the demons also believe that. Oh, <laughs> ouch. That, that hurts. I'm telling you, for them, that was like, what? Notice that he places false faith in the same category as demonic faith. And you go, wait, demons don't have faith. If demons had faith, they would be saved. Well, let's be careful. Demons do have faith. What kind of faith do demons have? Tell me. They have false faith. See, a, a, a demon can say the right thing, but a demon does not trust the truth that he says, even though he knows it's true. Does that make sense? That's spooky. You know, puts it in the same category as that, those who would profess but not... That wouldn't be evident in their life. And, you know, it's so interesting, is it not? The, um, it's interesting that the, uh, in the Gospels, you always see the demons knowing who Jesus is before the disciples do. Do you ever read that and just kind of go, what is going on, you knuckleheads? You know, I mean, these demons are speaking. Well, think of this, Mark 1, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Cast out a demon. Notice what the demon says. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What? And there's, there's disciples around Jesus who hear that, and they don't even believe it yet. And the demon has already said it. Guess who grew up not believing that Jesus was the Son of God, even though he heard demons say that his half-brother was? James. How about that? It's not till after the resurrection James even believes it. And yet these demons are saying it from the very first, from the very beginning of his half-brother's ministry. Mark 3, another verse, I just, just shocking to me. It says, whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. That's a demon saying that. If I changed that phrase and said, I met a man, he fell down before Jesus and said, you are the son of God. What would we say about that man? We would think he's what? He's, he's born again. This man's saved. Let's go baptize him. Well, he said that. We don't know if his belief is true. See what I'm saying? It's, you, you recategorize that and you go, wow, people do say things, but then it's not evidenced in their life. Hmm. No wonder he calls this man a foolish fellow, by the way, which is Greek, meaning empty-headed. You empty-headed man. Y'all, it's really sobering. I want to make some clarification here to be very careful how we talk about this. Rob has said it. I'm saying it. We're going to keep saying it. Um, it's not that you have faith and then you add works. You don't add works to faith. That would be like adding heat to a flame. No, uh, flame inherently is hot. You got that? So you don't add works. Uh, there's no way, please understand, we know our salvation is great. It's not that our works save us. God forbid we know those don't save us. It's that fa genuine faith and works are inseparable. It's, it's like trying to take wet out of water. Genuine faith will evidence itself in works that express the very character of God. Not perfectly, not fully this side of heaven, but I'll tell you what, progressively, over time, that will mark our lives. So, there's a real simple question, what kind of faith do you possess? That's, that's the question. And it's absolutely essential that we answer it. I want you to close your Bibles. I want you to put them down. I want you to have your hands available because we're going to apply this text in a way that will stretch many of us in ways we don't expect. I want your hands free. I want the band to come back out because we're going to pray at the end. As we have been this month. Just take us time to pray. Um, I'd like the ushers to begin passing out the offering baskets, please. You say, why are you passing the offering baskets? Because if you have true faith, you will give more in this second offering than you did in the first. And there's only like one person even snickered at that, just one. <laughs> like I was serious on that. I'm not serious on that. These baskets are coming around, and there are envelopes in these baskets. And everyone in the room takes an envelope. If you're a guest, 
take the envelope. If you're visiting and not coming back next week, take the envelope. Uh, If your spouse is not here, take an envelope for them, please. Uh, If you have children who are normally in the service, you know that they they are in this service and they're sick or whatever, take an envelope for them. We want everyone who's in the worship service to have an envelope. Do not open it. Do not open the envelope. Um, Do not hold it up to the light, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. I want you to just hold the envelope. In fact, I'd love you to just put the envelope away once you have it because I'm going to ask that you not even open it until you're on um, uh, Columbia Pike there and you are uh, driving away. Okay, that's when you uh, take and you open that envelope or, you know, if you're not, you're, you're not driving, you let somebody open that for you. So everybody with me? So you take an envelope, you do not open it. When Rob and I and our team move you toward a very specific application, man, we, make, we seek to make sure that we have thought through it and, and are aware of some of the implications of that. And when I say that, what I mean is if you're a guest, we always know that wholehearted life in Christ, okay, is about our whole heart, which, think of the quadrants, we've gone through this. It's our thoughts, it's our emotions, it's our desires and our choices. That's the wholehearted life in Christ. You can't separate any of these and be wholehearted in your experience of your life with Christ. When we're living this way, there's some things that show up in our heart. And what we describe here is these characteristics of our heart are uh, that we have a renewed mind, right? We have a renewed mind. We have what we call healthy relationships in this quadrant where it's talking about emotional life. We have healthy relationships. Over here in the desires quadrant, we say that's about a satisfied soul. And Jesus satisfies our soul. And then in this top right quadrant, we say that's active faith. And what we're we're always moving towards at fellowship to say it's the whole heart. Active faith is a part of that, and it means taking steps of faith, and we're going to encourage one another to take those steps of faith, and that's what we're encouraging you in this morning. Um, it's difficult when you think of the application here. I'm not going to go far from the text. I mean, he says if you see a brother or sister in the church that has a need and you just say something but you don't do something to meet that need, that's... That's empty face. So this is you know, what we're moving towards is meeting those needs. Surely there are people, you may not think of it, you may not even know it right now, but there are people here at Fellowship who have urgent needs and we can do something about it. I don't know how many times I've done this with some of you. I've, I've probably been able to do something about your need, but I might just say, I'll pray for you. you know? And that's, a, that's good. Let's always do that. We always begin with prayer. But sometimes maybe there's more I could have done and I haven't. This is where this stretches me. Everybody got an envelope? With that, let me tell you what's in the envelope. In the envelope is either a $10 bill, a $20 bill, or a $50 bill. Not everyone back here got one. What happened? We ran out of envelopes? Oh, so people took those. So some people don't have those. So I, we want to make sure that we, um, I don't know how we would get those envelopes now. Well, no, 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 you're good. Do you have some other ones? We have some other ones. Um, I want to make sure if you're, especially if you're, look, there's some envelopes. Take an envelope there. Anyone else can, can you're good. Give as many as we can. There's a 10, a 20, or a 50 in the envelope. She's going to go get some more. I waited until everyone had an envelope for this reason. Um, some of you, if I told you there's a 10 and a 20 and a 50 in there, 
and that we were going to ask you to just pray and ask God to show you a need and meet that need, whether by giving that money or by buying what's needed and giving that money. Some of you in this room, I know this about you, and it's, it's wonderful and it's good. You wouldn't have taken the money because you'd have said, I got $50 in my pocket. I'm not taking the church's offering money. You know what I'm saying? And I get that. That's, that's so appropriate. But may I say to you, that's why I didn't want you to know what was in it till everyone took it, because your step of faith, quite frankly, is going to be, can you hold the tension of holding that money that you've got plenty of it, so to speak, and yet you've got to take this one and not give it back to me and give it in the offering? No, you've got to take responsibility for something God's put in your hand. I believe God put it in your hand that now you have to steward it. So can you, can you hold it, hold attention, pray, and see if God will lead you, and he will, to a specific need that you would distribute that money. So that's the first thing I want to say. I do want you to think about the body. I want you to think about who's in the church family that has a need and seek to meet that need. If you go, well, you know, don't know anybody in the body, or I know someone specifically who's not at the church, but they have an immediate need. Well, absolutely meet that need. That's, I'm going to trust... Christ to lead you and the Spirit to lead you in that way. But I want us to start with the body. Just start you know, with the body because the text does. But you have the freedom to meet a need outside the church. If you're a guest and you're visiting, maybe you're vis- your parents visiting a child or you're just in town for the day and you, 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 know, you don't go to a church, well, meet a need somewhere that you can meet that need or at your church or somewhere else. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not trying to put too much of a box on that other than make, let's make the church the priority because the text itself does. We did this over 20 years ago. Some of you were here, and, and it just it kind of can wreck your faith in a good way. It really can, and our hope is that because we're in James, because we're here, we would do this once again and see God shape our hearts in ways that mark us for the next 20 years. Second thing I want to say is some of you may feel this is no step of faith at all, and you're kind of going, oh my gosh, you just handed me $20 and said I could be Santa Claus to someone. That's not what faith's in that. And there's part of that that you go, yeah, it kind of is that in a way, I guess. But here's the faith we're inviting you to trust God for. Would you pray that God would show you a specific need, person, man, whatever it is, and meet that need? Because God will do it. He will do that. And it takes faith to ask. And it takes faith to trust, I think this is what God's leading me to do, and then you do it. You know what I'm saying? So will you trust God in that way? That's faith. That's faith. I had someone at Brentwood come up, uh, or stand, come up to me afterwards and say, I was within two seconds of jumping up and saying, look, Lloyd, look, let's just, can't you just ask the church right now, anybody who has a need, you know, raise your hand. You know, then, we, then we got it all figured out. And I said, well, you, well, we could, but you know what? This time, let's trust that God knows. And can you trust that God will guide you to the person that you don't know right now that has a need and you get to meet that need? See, so that's the step of faith. Does that make sense to everybody? I know this is not perfect, but God meets his, the needs of his people through his people. You know, sometimes we think it's through the lottery, you know, when it gets big and we buy that ticket thinking we're going to meet everybody's needs. But that's not how it works. It's working through his people. And then there are some who may question the stewardship of the money. I, and I think this is, at, this is appropriate and I'm grateful for your concern because you'd say, what? I can't believe you're taking, you know, taking our money that we give you and then you're giving it to strangers and whatnot. And I'm going to say this, and this is a bit sarcastic, but it's, it's also you know, sarcasm at some levels to, to help us understand the truth. And I would ask you, when you gave the money, whose was it? I mean, was it 
You know what I'm saying? If it, it what, was it yours? I'm sorry. I thought it was all God's, you know? I mean, that's what we believe the Bible teaches. You don't have any money in the bank other than what God has there for you and what God has provided for you. Yes, you earned it, but you're breathing God's air, and the Bible's absolutely clear God owns everything. So, so it wasn't yours. Can I say that? And you know what? It's not ours. It's God's, and we pray about stewarding it. And I assure you, we prayed about this before we did it. You know, we did it 20 years ago, and I'm telling you, it was a lot smaller church, you know, when we did it, truly. I mean, we were meeting in high school then. So is this the right stewardship of his money? Answer, I don't know. I think it is. Because as we prayed about it, we, we, we listened. We talked amongst ourselves. We paid attention to what the Spirit's doing in our body and where we are in James and what could move and stir our faith. And so it's like this. You know in the book of Acts, it's so instructive, and I hope you take this to heart. Often in the book of Acts, it'll say, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit, and so we did it. That's a wonderful way to live your life. I mean that. If it seems good to the Holy Spirit, and you do it. If it's not, he'll let you know. But if we, you know, you're not ever going to have all certainty. So that's a step of faith. Speaking of paying attention to the Spirit, I, I want to offer this to you. About two months ago, Rob Sweet met with a family, and they gave Rob a check and said, Rob, I want you to use this check. We want you to use this check however you want to use it in the body. You need to plant trees, plant trees. You need to paint a wall, paint. They just said it's unrestricted is what we call it in the counting sense. And so Rob has been... You know, we've been, he's been meeting with a team and elders to what do we, how do we steward this? They haven't, haven't done anything with that money. I assure you, we weren't even thinking of that money as we were thinking about this, but then as we were thinking about it, Rob said, well, you know, so-and-so gave a check and said, use it however you want. Why don't we use that money for this? And we went, oh, okay, you know, that could be, we could use it that way. Rob called this family last Friday and said, this is what we're going to do with the money game. They were so excited. They asked Rob, did we give enough to cover all five services? And Rob said, well, you gave enough to cover just over half. And they said, we'll give the rest to cover. The I'm telling you. Now, just so you don't walk out of here trying to figure it out, $35,000 is now distributed through three services at Brentwood, two services here. Um, it's God's money. And we believe that as we steward it, um, it'll be way more than way more than the money. That's the point. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to pray while you're sung over, sung over. It sounds like while you're hungover, you know, while you're sung, <laughs> while Mandy sings over you, uh, pray, pray. Pray, pray. Those of you who are praying with people, come up front with me. I'm up front. If you want me to pray with you, come up and let me pray with you. Or Latrell's over here, someone else on this side. Just pray with them. That's what we've been doing this month is taking these moments to pray. So let's pray about this. Some of you will meet in your fellowship group uh, tonight. Maybe you do it as a group. That, I know many you could do that. I'm not saying do that, but maybe you pull your resources. Everybody clear on the instructions. One last one, and this is huge. When you walk in that door next week, that money needs to be gone. This is not money you hold till June and go, whoa, I now know what to do with this. No, we're saying, let's do it now. 
just like the 100,000 on the adoption. That's not for next year. It's for now. Faith, you all, is not tomorrow. James is going to say it. It's right now. So I don't feel bad about instructing you to go in the next seven days, pray, trust God, and distribute it, okay? So that you come in next week, it's gone, it's out. It's distributed for the kingdom. Let's pray. I'm gonna ask you to pray there where you are. You can pray up here and come up and kneel and pray. You can pray with this team on the side. Oh God, would you order our steps? Holy Spirit, we are a spirit-dependent people and you will guide us. We trust that.
uh, I am smiling because I, I, I think about the ways that the different layers that an exercise like this works on our hearts. Uh, and one that has become evident to me is it's not easy to bear responsibility for God's money. But go beyond the money. It's not easy to bear responsibility for stewardship of my life. And this kind of gets at that, you know? So it'll be a challenge in different ways for you. Pay attention to the Spirit. James writes what we often call a Proverbs of the New Testament because he's pithy wisdom statements. I don't know that he had this in mind, but certainly he may have, for he had the Proverbs. But Proverbs 3, 27 and 28, our benediction. I'm reading this from the message because of the way it's paraphrased. It gets at the heart of even our text today. Solomon writes, Proverbs 3, 27 and 28, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor, uh, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow when the money is right there in your pocket. The Lord bless you. And may you find God is fully able to direct your steps. You are dismissed. God bless.